Uh, would y'all turn with me to uh, John 12 again this morning for the uh, scripture reading and for the text this morning? Uh, John 12, and we'll be in verses 12 down through 19. 12 through 19 in chapter 12. Let's see. Let me find my place. <clears throat> John 12, 12 through 19. Would you say it? The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thankful to you today, Lord, for saving us, delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the domain, the rule, the reign of your beloved Son. Lord, we're thankful for your word that we once again have before us here in written form and lord what a what a gift of grace that you've uh, blessed us with that you've blessed the church with in the form of your written word lord as always we we know as we come that we we are in need of your enabling power just as we just read here um you're you're calling Lazarus out of the tomb. Lord, we, we need that kind of uh, enablement even to understand Your Word. We need You to, to enable us with Your power. So Lord, that's what we ask for. Grant uh, that we may not only hear the truth with our physical ears, but that we may truly have ears to hear so that Your truth changes us takes us from glory to glory, conforms us to the image of Your dear Son for our eternal good, for Your eternal glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And be seated. <clears throat> Even if I didn't say you could be seated, you'd sit down, wouldn't you? Okay. <laughs> Lord, is good. Amen. Good songs, good song from David, good songs we were singing earlier, and, uh, and a good text before us today. Um, I want to consider a couple things here. Um, so let's just, let's just kind of put it in context first, and then I want to uh, mention a couple of points. But uh, you notice that, that John in his narrative here starts out verse 12, or at least what we call verse 12, they didn't 
didn't have verses when it was written, but uh, verse numbers, that is, when it was written. Um, but notice how this verse starts out, verse 12, the next day. Well, what has been happening here is, is um, what, of course, what we, we talked about last week where Jesus was in Bethany and, and uh, there was a, a feast for him and, and uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were there. And then if you, uh, and, and in fact, Mary anointed uh, him with the, uh, the costly perfume, uh, remember, and, and um, uh, the, the, the nard, the spice from pure nard. And then down in verses 9 through 11, it says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So Lazarus gets mentioned at least uh, about three times here in chapter 12 because this is fresh on everybody's mind. I mean, this Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead has just happened, and many people witnessed it. And even among those who didn't witness it, you know, word has been spreading like crazy that uh, this man, Jesus, raised someone from the dead. So he gets... Uh, that is, Lazarus gets mentioned here. Uh, in fact, in the, in the passage that uh, our text for today that Zach just read, um, there was a mention of him. So the people were interested in seeing Lazarus. They were interested in seeing Jesus. And they were, as I'll come back to in a moment, they were just fascinated by all of this, of course. Verse 10 says, So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Now, now it says as well because John has already stated that they desired to kill Jesus. You look back in chapter 11, verse 53, it says, So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. That is, the, the chief priest, um, the council, the Sanhedrin, they determined to murder Jesus. And so now, chapter 9, verse 11 tells us, uh, they also, uh, or verse 10 says, they also want to put Lazarus to death. Why? Because he's, He's a testimony concerning the truth of, of uh, Jesus' identity. And so verse 11 says, Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Word is spreading like wildfire about this. And many people are coming. They see Lazarus. No doubt some of them uh, probably uh, that, didn't, that didn't witness the resurrection. No doubt they knew about Lazarus' death and that he had indeed died. And now they come and see him alive. And others are hearing the report and believing the report. It's credible. And so they, they come and they see and they see Jesus and they hear Jesus speak. Maybe they see other uh, signs done. And they, they go away, John says, believing. And I want to talk more about that in a moment also. So there's quite a, quite a, a, a stir going on. And the reason John keeps mentioning great crowds, like verse 9, large crowd of the Jews or verse 12, on the next day, the large crowd. It's because this is the week of Passover. So Jerusalem is packed. Um, in fact, I was just reading an account the other day of uh, a Passover. I, I think it was, it, it was first century, but it was, it was a couple of decades after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And uh, the, the writer, which I believe was Josephus, estimated that they had over 2.5 million people in Jerusalem. 
for the Passover. Now, I, I don't have any way of knowing if Josephus' numbers were correct, but, but even if that figure were exaggerated, because he was estimating, um, you get the idea. It was, it was a huge crowd. And why is that? It's because people, uh, believing Jews, came from everywhere, if, if at all possible, if they could, they, they would make the pilgrimage once a year to, to Jerusalem for the Passover feast in remembrance of um, God delivering them from bondage in Egypt uh, in, the, in the time of Moses. And that's what the Passover was, was all about, of course. They would, they would all come and they would uh, kill a lamb um, and, and partake of it and observe the, the, uh, the uh, feast of the Passover in remembrance of God's great deliverance when he brought them out of bondage, out of Egypt, and took them to the promised land. So this is, this is a big deal in Jerusalem. It's still a big deal among the Jews today, but uh, that's why the crowds are here. Large, large crowds in Jerusalem, and so word of Jesus is just, is just spreading. I mean, raising someone from the dead is not, uh, not a small thing. I mean, you know, if, 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 you could, uh, if you did that today, and, I mean, you know, and it were, it were documented uh, well and so that it was, I guess, beyond uh, uh, any kind of uh, doubt, um, believe me, it would catch the attention of the media. And so their, their media in that day was pretty much just, uh, just talking word of mouth, and, and they were spreading the word. So there's large crowds in Jerusalem for the purpose of the Passover, and they're hearing about Jesus, and there are many of them wanting to see him and uh, you know, see firsthand who this man is. So there's a big to-do going on here. That's, that's where we're at, and, and, and that, uh, those particular verses in the first part of chapter 12, that's what John has in view when he says the next day. So this is the day after that, the dinner and the, the, uh, the chief priest plotting to kill Lazarus and so forth. The next day, um, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Now let me stop there momentarily. What, what I want to do here is mention the, kind of what I think are the, the, the main points here, and then we'll kind of flesh that out. But, of course, number one, and this is what John is doing throughout the gospel, throughout the narrative here, is he wants us to see the true identity of Christ. You've gotten used to hearing that by now, right? I, I mean, because we keep saying that over and over and over. But, but John keeps saying that over and over. He keeps giving us evidence over and over and over of the true identity of Jesus, that He is the Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh. He's, he's the eternal Word that He started out talking about back in chapter 1, verse 1. The Word was in the beginning with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. And so the rest of the book, he's fleshing that out. Here's what it means to, be, to behold His glory. Here's what, it, here's what it looks like when the eternal Word takes on human form and lives among us. And He's the Christ, the Son of God. And John says, I want you to know this, I want you to believe this, and I want you to, ever result, as a result, have life in Him. And so he's been constantly hammering on this fact, who Jesus is, his true identity. It's not enough to think of him as 
a good man, a good teacher, or something like that. You know, oh, he was a, he was a great rabbi, probably the greatest rabbi of his day. Well, true, all true, but it, but it doesn't go far enough. John wants us to understand that he's the Christ, the long-awaited, long-anticipated, anointed one whom God had promised who would come um, to sit on the throne of David forever, okay? So he, king of the Jews, king of Israel. So John wants us to understand that. So he keeps hammering on that. So that's, that's the, the big point. That's the main point. Who is Jesus? Or what is his true identity? So, so in this passage that we're looking at this morning, that, that's number one issue. The identity of this Jesus of Nazareth. Now, second to that, and right along with that, what, what John is doing here, once again, is talking about the response of, of the people. In other words, how do they respond to, to, the, to the, this manifestation um, of the Son of God? When Jesus is going about doing what he's doing, when he's, when he's preaching, teaching, um, when he's doing acts like raising people from the dead or, or, or giving sight to the blind, and, and then again, in particular, his doctrine, what, what are the response? What is the response from the, from the crowds that are hearing him? Sometimes John zeroes in on individuals like the disciples or like the woman at the well or like the man whose sight was, uh, was uh, restored in, in chapter 9. Sometimes John zeroes in on individuals and, and we, get a, uh, we get to see how they respond to Jesus. Sometimes uh, the response is negative. You know, he'll give us a close-up of the, of the uh, Pharisees and the other religious leaders, and, and we see how they, um, how, they, how they respond to Jesus. They, they don't like him, and they, as we just read a moment ago, they plot to kill him. Well, this is, again, an issue here. What is the response of the people? And this time, we see a, a, very, a very positive outward response, and we're, we're, we're sort of not used to this at this point because we've been reading about how the the, the uh, Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, for example, reject him and plot to kill him. And, and now you get over here and, and see what's going on here. And it's, it's kind of refreshing, isn't it? And Jesus comes to Jerusalem and there's a, a great positive response. So I want to deal with both of those things and, and uh, hopefully get us out of here by 5 o'clock. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, yeah, well, it will be by 5, but hopefully it'll, it'll be by 12. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's nothing like a little attention getter once in a while. I mean, just, you know, kind of wake, wake everybody up. What did he say? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so who is Jesus? Well, John tells us. Let me read these first few verses again, and then we'll, we'll go from there. The next day, this is verse 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of, of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, um, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. All right, so 
John gives us three things here. First, the, the, uh, the, the praise that's coming from the crowd. And again, I want to come back to that in a moment. But, but for now, let's just kind of zero in on, on what they're saying here. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This is one of those places where you've you got to wonder um, if they understood what they were saying. Or maybe we don't have to wonder. I mean, we'll, we'll see that as we go. But, but uh, maybe, maybe it's, at least in, in, on, in some respect, it's clear that they didn't. Um, but what they were saying was true nonetheless. And they're crying out, Hosanna, which means save now, save now. They're yelling that, but it, just like it is in our day, it, it had, by this time it had come to be just kind of a, 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 a way of praising. Hosanna! Like sometimes we, you know, people, people will use it in that same sense today, or sometimes we'll say, you know, glory, something like that. It's just a, a way of praising. And so they're, they're offering praise with, with these words that come from Psalm 118 that we read, that David read earlier. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're pronouncing blessing on him. Again, rightly so. Even the king of Israel. And again, they rightly proclaim that he is the king of Israel. Now, I said, I, John tells us this, that they were doing this, and I, I don't think that they were fully understanding what they were saying. But then John also offers this in verse 15. He, he tells us here w- with scriptural support who, in fact, he is. In other words, he, he validates what they're saying. You know, they're, they're crying out this praise from, from Psalm 118, and John is basically saying, um, well, this was, this was correct because um, Jesus did this. He, he found a young donkey, sat on it, just as it is written. In other words, John is saying their praise was appropriate, it was right, it was, it was on target because Jesus was indeed fulfilling Old Testament prophecy concerning this coming king. And so they, they were dead on. Even though they may not have understood what they were saying, it was, it was correct. And he gives us the testimony of Zechariah, an Old Testament prophet. And basically what he's saying is, this is talking about Jesus. Jesus is fulfilling Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verses 9 through um, 11, at least there. Let me go back there for a minute. I want to read that. Now what he quotes here is, is from verse 9, Zechariah 9. Nine, and this is the way it reads um, in Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. This, this is kind of in the midst of a, um, um, what, what we know as an oracle of woe. That is, Zechariah is pronouncing judgment upon Israel's enemies. And then in the midst of doing that, he, he, comes, he comes out with this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He comes out with this. Rejoice greatly. Of course, he, now he's talking to Israel. Rejoice greatly. Why? Because your king is coming. God is going to destroy the enemy and your king is coming. So here's how he says it again. Verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. And by the way, that's, that's not a, just a side note, but it's important for what we're... Well, it's not just a side note. It's important for what we're talking about here. Your king is coming, riding on a donkey. <laughs> that, that's not exactly... If you and I were going to, uh, you know, set up the parade, um, that's not exactly how we would do it. Your, it would be more like your king is coming, riding, riding on a great mighty stallion. Wouldn't it It'd be something like that? Or today, you know, it wouldn't be, you know, your king is coming, riding in a Volkswagen Beetle. I mean, it would be your king is coming. In a limousine, right? That's, that's more in order for kings and presidents and so forth. So, so this is already a little bit ironic, right? Your king is coming and he's riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I'm going to go ahead and read um, verses 10 and 11 here because I'm going to try to uh, mention a couple things from them. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. That is, the, the king who's coming. Shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Now, so he's coming to fulfill all that. This, this king who's coming. And John is saying over here in John chapter 12, this is what is happening at this moment. So first he tells us, when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, this is how the people respond. They're, they're, they're singing from uh, Psalm 118. Uh, this is part of the, uh, what, what is known as the Hallel. Um, Psalm 113 to 118 makes up the Hallel, and it's, a, it's songs of praise to God that they would use um, in different feasts. And so they're singing, directing it toward Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So John says, here's how they're responding to his coming into Jerusalem. And then he gives us um, the Old Testament prophecy that confirms that yes, this indeed is the coming King so, in this case, they are right in what they are saying in verses 13 and 14. Um, and then thirdly, verse 16, John talks about his own understanding and, and of the other disciples. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Now, I, I think we have, to, um, we, we have to conclude that they, they did understand He was the Messiah, the coming King. When John says His disciples didn't understand these things at first, I, I don't think He's talking about that. The, the reason they're following Jesus is because they, they believe Him to be the Messiah, the coming King of Israel. But they, they didn't understand th this particular event you know, his riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, they didn't understand the significance of it. That this was prophesied by Zechariah and that it had to be fulfilled. So John's giving the response to the people here. He's giving the prophecy of Zechariah as confirmation that this indeed is 
the, the coming king, and then a little bit of um, testimony regarding his own understanding and the other disciples saying, you know, we didn't understand all of this at the time. But after his, he was glorified, and that's talking about his crucifixion and resurrection, after he was glorified, then we remembered these things, that they had been written and that Jesus had done them. So, what's, what's the, the point behind all of that? Well, it, once again, John wants us to see the true identity of Jesus. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One, all right? the coming King, the King who is coming to deliver. Uh, and let me mention this briefly because I thought this was good. Um, Don Carson in his commentary um, picks out three things uh, associated with the, uh, the the prophecy in Zechariah there, uh, or that that that, Zachar- that the prophecy there associates with the coming king, and uh, in those verses that I just read you, Zechariah nine verses nine through eleven, and 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 all of these are fulfilled in Christ. Okay, um, first of all, the the cessation of war, the cessation of war, in verse ten, Zechariah nine ten. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the, war, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river, that's the river Euphrates, today it runs through modern-day modern, uh, modern day Iraq, from the river to the ends of the earth. Well, that's just a way of saying his reign is going to cover the whole earth. So, cessation of war. And then secondly, the proclamation of peace to the nations, which again I just read. He shall speak peace to the nations. And then thirdly, um, it's associated, His coming is associated with the blood of the covenant. Verse 11, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So he speaks, uh, God speaks there of the, of the covenant between Himself and and Israel, and says, um, in, in, this, in the coming of this king, um, the covenant's going to be fulfilled, and I will set prisoners free. Okay? So all of that, Zechariah saying, is going to be fulfilled in this king, and then it, it, is, it is happening when Jesus comes. Not exactly in the way that people expected. That's significant as well. But it happens nonetheless. There's cessation of war, but it's a different kind of war and a different kind of peace than what the people would have been looking for. Because really what is primarily in view is, uh, yeah, I mean, it includes the enmity between different peoples and so forth, but really what's in view there is the war between man and God. The enmity so there's going to be a cessation of that. It's over in what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus has done. And there's going to be a proclamation of peace to the nations. So now, all nations, all ethnicities may have peace. Peace with God, peace with one another. 
And because of the blood of the covenant, prisoners are set free. And again, that's, that's fulfilled in Christ, in His coming and in His sacrificial work. All right, so John, John's main point is this is who Jesus is, the Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the only Savior. You know, John keeps saying He's the Savior of the world. We've seen that several times already. So He's the Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior, the eternal Word, manifest in flesh. Our salvation. Now, the second point, again, is the, has to do with the response of the people. In other words, what, what John is communicating once again here is how people respond to this manifestation. By that I mean God in the flesh. The King who is, who, who is come now. It's no longer future tense. He's now come. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Your King is coming. Well, you can, you can put that into the, the present tense here. He, he is coming. He's coming now. He's coming right up the road. He's riding a donkey right up the street. John's saying this is being fulfilled here and now. And how are they responding? Well, let's real quickly look at four things. First of all, praise. Right? Praise. Again, Psalm 118. They're, they're singing this. They're, they're putting down palm branches. I've been several days. I've, you may want to do this because I, you know, I keep forgetting. I'm going to try to do this later. I wanted to see what a date palm looks like. They, um, they presume that this, these are branches off of a date palm, D-A-T-E, because they, they still grow uh, in the region over there today. Um, so I was going to Google it and look at pictures. Isn't it amazing how you can do that nowadays? You run across something and you think, I wonder what that means, or I wonder what that looks like, and, and you just hit Google, you know, and take it, take it to Google, and a lot of times you get the answer. Uh, so I thought it would be interesting to see. But they were, they were taking palm branches and laying them out. Why were they doing that? Because, again, that is a form of outward expression of praise. They, they would do that in, in, uh, in some of the feasts, in celebration. So it was just a way of, of lauding or praising. And, and it's the, that's the reason we call this the triumphal entry because Jesus is coming into Jerusalem with all of this fanfare. I mean, that's what's going on. They're singing to Him. They're waving the palm branches. They're throwing them in the road along with coats and so forth. It's, it's sort of like, if I could just kind of draw a, a modern parallel, not exactly like, but it's similar to, it's similar to, uh, today we would do a ticker tape parade. He goes right down the street in New York City, right? And, and people are all in the windows and they're, and they're throwing the confetti and, and uh, um, you know, it's, it's a celebration, a victory celebration. And at the same time, an expression of, of praise, adoration. Um, my... You think of, uh, um, some of you relate to this if you like old movies, but, you know, you know, Sergeant Yark, you know, he comes back from the war and they do the ticker tape parade. They still do that today. So, I mean, it's that, it's that kind of scene. Great celebration and Jesus is the focus. So, so it's praise. It's outward praise. They, they react with praise and that's necessary. So, what, what John is doing here, and this is what I want to to see here, in talking about their, their response, 
These are positive things. So in talking about the response, he's giving us some, what I would call, necessary elements when it comes to responding. In other words, these are, these are ways that, that, that one who truly believes responds to Jesus. Okay? So, again, first of all, praise. And notice, <laughs> notice, it, it's out there. I mean, it's loud. Praise often is. It's, it's loud. It's bold. It's, it's out there. I mean, it's kind of like you think about David back in, in uh, the Old Testament when he's dancing before the ark. He, he wasn't trying to be offensive, but at the same time, he didn't care if he looked foolish. He was just going to praise God. And, he, and he, when his wife complained, he said, look, I can, I can be more undignified than that. His, his, praise, his praise was emotional, let's just say it. I don't know how you can take that out of it. You know, we, we, we said back in Sunday school, I think it was last week, um, you know, should, should emotions be driving us? Well, the answer to that is no, but they ought to at least be in the car. They've got to be there. It's essential. They, emotions have to be engaged. How could it not be engaged? If you truly love your spouse or you truly love your children, you cannot, you cannot not be emotional. You cannot be, uh, you know, a, a, a Mr. Spock or whatever uh, from Star Trek. You, you cannot be just a-emotional with your spouse or with your children. Why? Because you truly love them. And it's going to come out. And usually... Um, if, if people try to say otherwise, well, you know, emotions don't have to be... Done. Find out if they're a sports fan and go with them to a game. <laughs> and you will see that uh, they're a lot more emotional than they uh, may claim. They just, for some reason, think it's inappropriate when it comes to the Lord. Hey, it's more called for when it comes to Him than it is when there's a touchdown or something or, or, or a home run or whatever it is. And emotions aren't out of place there. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying they're even more called for here. And notice Jesus is not standing up and saying, Hey, you people, quiet down. This is worship here. He's not saying that. Matter of fact, just the opposite. You look at the accounts in the other Gospels. I think it's in Mark or, it's Mark or Luke. Uh, uh, Luke, I believe. He says, look, if they don't... I mean, the Pharisees get indignant. They're the ones that don't like it. The religious leaders. I mean, they're the ones that don't like it. And, and Jesus says, look, if, if they are silent, the rocks are going to cry out. Why? Because the king is coming. He's coming up the road. I mean, this is better than your favorite football team or whatever it is. So, praise. Now, secondly, and I'm trying to move quickly here so the roasts don't burn and so forth. Um, secondly, profession. Profession. I don't mean what they do for a living. I mean what they're saying. What they're saying, right? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They are, they are singing the lines of Psalm 118, but they're intentionally 
focusing them on Jesus. I mean, they're, they're, they're talking about Him. Blessed is He who comes. They're pronouncing blessing on... He is blessed. May, it's, the idea is He's blessed and may He be, be blessed. May He prosper in what He does. They're pronouncing blessing on Him. Why? Because they believe He comes in the name of the Lord. The, the reference to the Lord here means Yahweh, their God. We, they're saying, we believe He comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, they're acknowledging His authority and His office. He's come in the name of Yahweh. May He be blessed in His mission. And then they refer to Him as the King. The King of Israel. They're professing that He's God-sent and that He's God's anointed man to be king over Israel. That's their profession. And it's right. It's 100% correct. And that again is necessary, isn't it? For a true believer. We've got to acknowledge those things. This is God's man. Paul says to the Athenians in Acts 17, God has appointed a day in which He shall judge the world by one man. Jesus, He's God's man. He's God's anointed. He's the King of Israel. The seed of David. The Son of David who will sit on David's throne and rule forever. That's necessary to acknowledge those things. It's a part of genuine faith. And then thirdly, proclamation. I'm going to have to skip down a little bit here, but proclamation. Look at verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The crowd that saw him, and I love the way John words it here, and he keeps, he keeps referring to Lazarus, and he keeps, he keeps referring to him as, using these phrases like, he who was dead, <laughs> or whom Jesus called out of the dead, called out of the tomb, and, and, and raised out of the dead. And those who witnessed it just continued to bear witness. They were proclaiming Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Almost as though they can't help it. And again, you, you can see some analogies here, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not downing sports. These, these analogies just come to my head uh, because, because sports are so popular. But I'm not, I'm not downing them, believe me. But some of the same folks who think we talk too much about Jesus don't have any problem preaching football or... You know, something they do themselves, like fishing. They, they preach it. They're, they're evangelistic. I mean, I've had guys try to convert me. You know, I'm serious. <laughs> and I'm not against fishing. I don't think I need converted, but, but, uh, but, you know, I'm not against it. But I'm just saying they're that determined. that They love it that much and they want to talk about it because they love it, which, hey, that's how it works. When you love something, you talk about it. When something, when something has grabbed you, it's hard not to talk about it. And when you see a man raise somebody from the dead, I mean, they're going out and they're proclaiming that. 
They saw him call him out of the tomb, and they continued to bear witness. So these guys are just, and women too, I'm sure, they're just evangelists on fire telling people about Jesus, proclaiming, we saw him raise this guy from the dead. And I think that again is necessary, the proclamation aspect. It just comes with the territory. Where there's, where there's genuine faith, that's part of it. It comes along with it. I mean, how are you going to not talk about your Lord? Not, not only, um, I mean, let's just personalize it for a minute. Not only because He called somebody out of the tomb, He called me out of the tomb. That's hard not to, not to talk about. So, that's part of their response, proclamation. They're telling everybody. I mean, they're telling everybody. In fact, look just briefly at the verse 19. The Pharisees are once again indignant, and they say, you see that you are gaining nothing. Uh, that is, in their efforts against Him, they're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after Him. See, the Word is spreading, and these witnesses to the, to the resurrection of Lazarus are, are in large part responsible for that. So, Responses, praise, profession, proclamation, and fourthly, fascination. I'm sorry, I couldn't come up with a P word on that one, okay? Um, fascination. They were, they were fascinated with Him. Look at verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet Him was that they heard He had done this sign. Just as is so often said in various parts of the Gospels, all four Gospels, they marveled or they were amazed. They were fascinated. They were drawn to that. Because they heard what Jesus was, was doing. And in particular, notice here in fact the word sign is singular because in particular... Um, it's, it's the fact that he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's, that's what the buzz is all about here. And so they're fascinated with somebody that can do that. And that's why they came, John says. The reason why the crowd went to meet him, that is, they went out to meet him on the road when he was coming into Jerusalem. As he was coming into Jerusalem, crowds followed and Crowds that were already in the city went out to meet him. And they began to praise, throwing out the branches. And John says this is why they did that, because they were fascinated. They heard what he had done. So, I need to close with a final point, but let me just reiterate real quick that the, the main thing John is communicating here is Jesus' identity. This is who Jesus is. He's, he's God in the flesh. Son of God. The Christ. The Anointed One. The Son of Man. Capital S. That phrase, by the way, refers to a designation in the book of Daniel. The Son of Man. All right? The Lamb of God, John, calls him, John the Baptist calls Him early on in this book. The Savior of the world. That's, that's what John wants us to see. And secondly, he's communicating the response of the people. And now, I, I, need to, I need to say something about that. 
I, I gave you these four aspects that I, I think you know you, you come straight from the text: praise, profession, proclamation, fascination. I mean, this is how the people were responding to Jesus, and all four of those things I suggested are necessary. In other words, if there's if there's genuine faith there, then these things are going to be there. Praise for Him because you love Him and you adore Him. You want to worship Him. Profession. In other words, your, your, your doctrine is right concerning Christ. It's like we've been talking about on uh, Wednesday nights. You know, John, um, same author by the way, John references those who deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Their, their doctrine was wrong. So the profession is right here. The people are saying, you know, Hosanna, King of Israel and so forth. And proclamation, that is, they're, they're going out and they're spreading the news that He's coming, the King is coming. We saw what He can do. We saw Him raise someone from the dead and He's coming. So, praise, profession, proclamation, fascination. Those things have to be there. But let me say this as a final point. All of those things are necessary to genuine faith. All of those things are necessary, are essential. That is, they're a part of genuine faith. But hear me. They're not sufficient. They're not sufficient. And to make that final point, I have to jump ahead a little bit, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at this, and then we'll close. Verse 37. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. These are the people that praised Him, that professed Him, that proclaimed Him, that were fascinated with Him. And if you got any doubt that, verses 37, that verse 37 is true, we only have to read on a little further to see that the praise turns into Crucify. Crucify. All of these things have to be there for genuine faith, but they don't necessarily mean that genuine faith is there. Do you see that? I mean, in other words, if faith is genuine these things will be there. They will accompany genuine faith. But genuine faith does not necessarily accompany these things. People praise Him. People profess Him. People proclaim Him. People are fascinated with Him. And yet do not believe in Him. And that was exactly what was going on here. And I think that also is a primary thing John wants us to see. 
He wants us to see the reality of who Jesus is. And He wants us to see the reality or not, you know, the lack of reality of our faith. Do we really believe in Him? Look, John says, I want you to believe that He's the Christ, the Son of God. I want you to believe on His name and believing in Him have eternal life. But you can do all of these things that we've outlined this morning and still not have eternal life. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Many will come to Me and say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in Your name. We preached in Your name. We've done many wonderful things in Your name. I mean, they had, they had some great praise and worship services, great preaching services, great evangelism efforts. What they didn't have was Jesus. They had their doctrine right. The proclamation was right. Doctrine was dead on. What they didn't have was Jesus. Jesus said, I'll say to them, get away from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. How is that possible? Let me, let me leave you with this and, and watch for this as we move along. Well, there's so much that could be said here and I'm just, I'm just going to have to leave some of it for later. But the prophecy in Zechariah is that he's coming meek and humble That's not what they were looking for. He's coming as a king, but not the kind of king they wanted. They're interested in nationalism. Earthly kingdom. He's going he's to come in here, drive everybody out that wants to live differently than we do, set up the kind of culture that we are comfortable with, and we'll have things our way in this country. That's not why he came. It's not why he came. And he was on his way to the cross. Verse 12 says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. You know why he was coming to Jerusalem? For the Passover. Well, sort of. Yes. But He was coming to be the Passover. The Paschal Lamb. The word means suffering. He was coming to die. That's not the kind of king they were looking for. And, and they were they were on board. If, if I mean, if we can if we can identify with the with the signs, you know, the miracles, all the all the hoopla and all the religious bells and whistles. I mean, we're on board with that. But going to the cross. I mean, you, you, you know, one reason that's so offensive because he said that his followers must go too. 
So it just had a, a two-fold offense to it. First of all, our king go to the cross? We can't have that. I mean, Peter said, we ain't, we're not going to do that, Lord. And then, and then on top of that, he says, we got to go too. In other words, that's part of fellowshipping with him is fellowshipping with his suffering. You want to follow me, Jesus said, and he never made bones about this. I mean, he did. He he was not. He would not have been the best seeker-friendly pastor. Let me tell you. He said, "You want to follow me? You take up your cross." You, what he's saying is, he's not talking about putting on earrings or, or a necklace or something like that. That's what you know. Today we got really nice-looking crosses. We we hang all over our body. He's talking about an instrument of death. What he's saying is you've got to die. You're going to die. You want to follow me? He told the rich young man, look, here's what you lack. Take all of your, all of your possessions, sell them, <laughs> everything you treasure, get rid of it, give the money to the poor, and then here's what you do. Take up your cross and follow me. Praise Profession, proclamation, fascination, all those things. Yes, all those things have to be there. But you know what? Until we can say, I'm ready to take up my cross. That, that doesn't mean bearing a, a particular sickness or a hard job, you know, hard career or something. That's not what that means. It means dying to self. You bear your cross. That is, you die and Christ lives. So you say like Paul, for me to live is Christ. I'm a dead man. And until we can say that, it's at least just possible that our faith is no deeper than theirs. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And when it became clear what he was really going to do, they, they, had a, they had it up to here. They had enough. And they said, look, this guy needs to die. I mean, we, we, gave, we rolled out the red carpet for him. We were ready to make him king. He just, wouldn't, he just wouldn't see it our way. He, wouldn't, he just wouldn't do it. And, and we will not have this man rule over us. So, I mean, they were all too eager for him to go to the cross at that point. As long as it meant they didn't have to go. All of these things are necessary for faith, but they're not Sufficient. We have to accept Jesus on His terms for who He really is and submit to His will. Would you stand, please? I'm just going to pray and, um, and we'll dismiss. And I appreciate your, your patience. Wow. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. 
And we do pray, Lord, give us ears to hear. Lord, we ask, don't let Your Word fall on one deaf ear in this house. Grant us ears to hear so that we are forever continually sanctified by Your truth for Your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.